Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's Bible study is entitled Creation or Evolution, Part 6. If you haven't been with us, we're, we're studying, uh, in general, we're studying the first five, six, seven, eight, nine chapters of Genesis, more, more answering the question, uh, creation versus evolution. What does the Bible have to say about it? Does it have anything to say about it? Is evolution a, a thing? Can it be relied upon? Uh, one of the things that we've been harping on, because I don't, you know, I'm not a scientist or anything like that, but I, I do have enough brains to can tell you the difference between science and not science. Evolution is definitely not science. That's, if anything, we we can we can definitely prove that's that's easily provable. It is a faith system. It's a it's a belief system, and people are free to believe whatever they want to. And I know you have relatives. I have some relatives, friends, etc., who say, "Well, I, I I don't believe in evolution. It's been proven to me." Well, but if you dig down you'll find out that it, they've just seen enough evidence so that they believe it. That's not the same as proving it. See, again, back, back to science. It can't be enough for you and not enough for me. Does that make sense? Two plus two equals four. There's nothing to believe, right? It's just, you know, I had two apples, I added two apples, I wound up with four apples. That's any, any language any culture, under any circumstances, no education, with education, that is very concrete. That's what science actually is. Things that are not concrete are not science. They, when they call them science, then either A, they're misinformed, or B, they're trying to, more likely, in my opinion, trying to pull something over on you. And that's what's happening. Evolution is not a scientific field. It is scientists who believe things it's a belief system, and we've been demonstrating that over and over again. The statistics are just so incredibly against it. The actual science, the actual math, the actual laws of, of thermodynamics and other things. We saw last time uh, that there is something holding everything together, unnaturally so, at a, at a subatomic level. Uh, the, the nucleus of every atom inside of your body shouldn't work, technically. The physics are against it because we have positive charges all sticking together, and they don't just stick together. They're powerfully together. In fact, so powerfully together that if you break them up and release the energy that holds them together, that's the essence of a nuclear weapon or, or of nuclear energy. And we know that that's extremely powerful, far more power than electrical energy, the, the use of electrons. You're using electrons when you drove up here in your car. You're burning electrons. Uh, you're not using anything nuclear. If you have a nuclear reactor in your car, I want to see it. That would be awesome. Uh, talk about uh, not having to plug your, uh, your Tesla in for a very long time. Get a little bitty nuclear reactor. Wouldn't that be cool? Anyway, one of these days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. No. So we saw, we saw uh, looking into atoms and other things because our, our aim was getting to this whole issue of carbon-14 dating. Carbon-14 dating, we saw, requires us to know many things that we cannot know. That is for a fact. We can only infer, we can only uh, guess, we can only assume, which tells you what? It's not science. It's not, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a scientific thing. We're just guessing. That's not science. Now, by the way, scientists, again, are free to guess. They're free to believe things. They're just not free to call it science. The results are never science. Because if we can get, you know, like I said, I pull out a tape measure with no marks on it, I get a different measurement every single, every single time. That's not science. A science is, you have a tape measure, I have a tape measure, they're exactly the same no matter where you are on the planet, no matter what language you speak, we can measure something, it comes out exactly the same way. Carbon-14 is not like that. It is thus uh, not a science. And so we're going to um, 
be in chapter 5 of Genesis. We're going to be looking at the ages of old. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 9. We're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to be any, just keep your thumb there, chapter 6. We're going to be in Job chapter 40 and 41. We need to remember everything I'm doing here. So if you could just keep your thumb over about a half of Genesis, then we'll, we'll be in those places. But let's, let's pray together. Let's ask God's uh, direction. Again, God's the revealer of all truth, uh, the truth he's revealed to us in the scriptures, the truth about what is and what isn't and how he created things. And so let's ask him for his intervention. God, we are asking that you would intervene in our lives. You would open our eyes. Uh, we are all, every one of us here, deceived on some level. Uh, we don't have the whole truth. Uh, we don't see clearly. We're easily distracted. We're easily lied to. Uh, we even, uh, worst of all, we lie to ourselves. God, we pray that you would remove the blinders from us if they're there. Uh, help us to see. Uh, as we ask this past Sunday, God, we ask you to reveal our sin to us. Uh, if anything can blind us, it certainly is our sin. And we ask you, God, to open our eyes. We pray, God, and thank you for the great privilege we've had to study together. Great, thank you for these great people and for their faithfulness uh, to this study, to our church, and uh, we just ask God your intervention, your direction, uh, your hand upon us as, as we study and learn. Open our eyes uh, to what's really going on, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Genesis 5 in just a second, but before we get there, uh, I, I wanted to give you, try to give you some of these things to think about, some, again, some statistics and other things. So Protein molecule is a very large molecule. Your body's made up of these chains of these. The chain of them, when you get them all linked together correctly, is what we call the DNA. DNA is the supercomputer, if you will, inside every single one of your cells. It's what tells us or what tells you that you're you and that you're not a cat or a dog or a fish or, I don't know, a starfish or whatever, amoeba or whatever. But DNA molecules inside all, all living things, but DNA is just a chain of these proteins. A protein is a, uh, a protein molecule is made up of five of the 92 naturally occurring elements on the, in, in the earth. Hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen. Oh, I've got a pointer. Forgot about that. Look at this. <laughs> if I can control it, hang on. Okay. <laughs> hydrogen, woo! Carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, sulfur. Just because they're next to each other on periodic table doesn't mean they're necessarily, necessarily next to each other in the world that you live in. But it requires these five of the 92 naturally occurring elements on the planet. Naturally, because the one at the bottom aren't natural. It takes you know, nuclear guys, and they, they last about three seconds, these other elements. But the naturally occurring, you can dig them up in the ground. You can see them in the air, experience them. Uh, these, of the 92 natural, only five uh, have to come together in order to form, and they have to come together in the right order, but they have to come together in order to form uh, a protein molecules. Again, proteins are not alive. They're only large carbon chains, uh, but they are the bricks of think, think of, think of the bricks of a house. The brick isn't the house, but it takes a lot of bricks to build a house, right? Well, it takes a lot of proteins to build a DNA molecule, something like 20,000 of these things. So each one of these are a string of five of these elements in a particular order. So 20,000 of them have to come together. But what's the chances of one of these coming together randomly, by, by chance? Well, that number has been calculated, and that, that number is this. One times 10, or one chance, and one with 160 zeros after it. But that's a phenomenally big number. Uh, you know... I don't even know how you say that number. It's way past the billion, trillion, quadrillions, you know, all that stuff. 
the, the guy who determined this number was the guy we've been looking at for, I've showed you for a couple of weeks, got a great profile, a Swiss mathematician by the name of Charles Eugene uh, Guy. Uh, again, this is, this is the, the, the chance that one protein molecule would come together. These five elements out of the 92, the chances of them coming together by chance, that is not, not intelligence, no intelligence being uh, pushed into the system. So one chance in one times 10 to the 160th power. Uh, now, that's a phenomenal number. I'm going to show you how big that number is. You know how many electrons there are in the world? We talked about electrons. There's an estimated number. Here's the estimated number of electrons in the entire world. Every star, every planet, every human being, every rock, every piece of dust, every molecule of air, everywhere, take all the electrons and add them up, and this is the estimated number. Notice it's 30, 30 power less than the chance of one protein. Not 20,000 that it takes. By the way, they have to be in the right order. And if they're not in the right order, I mean, if you get down to the nine, you know, uh, 19,999th protein and that one doesn't come together correctly, the DNA molecule completely separates and goes back. It has, it has, to, be, has to be completely redone. So there is no chance, if you will, of this happening by chance. It's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Again, just why do we use math? Because we're m much more familiar with math. Uh, the stuff that they're asking you to believe, and again, that's all that it is, is uh, tremendous. You are really, really going to have to swallow some big stuff in order to take evolution seriously. Uh, and you're going to have to go against a ton, of, a ton of evidence that speaks to the contrary. So, so let's move on. Chapter 5 of Genesis. Chapter 5 of Genesis is basically a genealogy, starting with Adam and ending with uh, Noah and his sons. And uh, I have a chart that I put on, putting on the screen here for you. I'm, I'm amazed that it actually shows, because on my computer it doesn't show it very well. And so I was very excited to see uh, that the numbers work. And these are just taking the numbers out of chapter 5 and laying them out in a graphic fashion. Somebody did this for me years ago. Uh, points of interest is Enix. I got a, I got a pointer here, don't I? Uh, hang on, where is it? There we go. Enix translation, so that's when he ascends. Uh, the flood, particularly at 1656. These are not numbers we're guessing at. These are numbers that we know. Uh, Abraham goes to Canaan, uh, more or less here. I say more or less because it doesn't give us the exact date. It more or less tells us his age within a, within a few years. Uh, but So I'll, I want to just point out these are the bigger points of interest. But here's the, the descendants. Of course, these aren't all the people that live from Adam all the way to Jacob. But uh, these, are, uh, these are the ones that, are, that the Scripture lines up, tells us their age. And so over here, just to give you the, rule of th the, the rules, over here, zero is when are these, these black numbers that are strung out here. That's the year in which the person was either born or created. Uh, the number here is the number how old they were when they had their child, which is the next one in line. Of course, he had Cain and Abel before that. But Seth is the one that's in the genealogy in chapter 5. So he was 130 years old when he had Seth. And then the, the bigger number here that's in the middle is how old he, how long he lived. Did you know that Adam lived 930 years? And so, and then the number on the right tells us what year it was when he died. Of course, when he was, since he was born in zero, 
uh, he died in 930. And so we go down here looking at these different ages. Here's the guy, longest, longest age recorded, of course, is Methuselah. Do you know what his name means? His name means his death shall bring. Shall bring what? Well, if you run the numbers, even though it doesn't show it very well on the graph, because like I said, these were just we, we, not necessarily to scale. He dies the same year that the flood comes. How did, how did his daddy know that? His dad was Enoch, uh, a prophet, it tells us in the book of Jude. And uh, he walked with God, and then he wasn't because God took him. And so he's, he's a special guy, and he had a special son with a special name. So, so notice, get my little pointer up here. So we start at zero, and then all the way down here to 2253. So we have 2,253 years from the creation of Adam to the death of Jacob, who is eventually called Israel, okay? So that's a lot of time. That's more time than from the time of Christ to today. So just to give you a gap of time, but I want you to notice there's not a lot of people in that gap of time. Uh, if, if we could trace back your ancestors back to the time of Christ, wherever they were, probably living in a cave somewhere in Europe, dragging her wife around by the hair for... By the way, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> that reminded me. <laughs> you know, who, who knows, you know, but the Gauls, you know, we got a lot of Germans here. The, Gauls, the French were the Gauls, the Germans were the, were the Saxons, and the rest of us were all English, you know, living up there in England somewhere. If, if we could go back to that original ancestor and do the same thing, but for the 2,000 years between them and you, there would be hundreds of more names. And the reason why is because these guys and gals lived a whole lot longer. Uh, people back in the days of Christ, a, a, long, a long life was 50, 60 years old. Today, how, how, who's, who's the oldest here? Maybe we shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> old enough to know better, everyone in this room, for sure. So, but, but 250, 2,253 years from the creation to the death of, of, of Jacob over here. So that's the first thing I want to point out. Also, Abraham is roughly, here's another thing that's pretty wild. Abraham is born roughly 2,000 years. We can get my pointer on the screen. Abraham, we'll find him over here. Abraham is born, this is 1946. Anybody born in 1946? 1946? 45? 44? Come on, a bunch of liars. Yeah, there we go. We got a bunch. We got a bunch of people in that age range. I know we do. So, so you got something in common with Abraham. He was born in 1946, except, you know, counting down or counting up from zero. He was born in 1946. So he was basically born 2,000 years after creation. Here's just a, a big picture for you. Jesus is born about 2,000 years after Abraham is born. How long has it been since Jesus' birth? We're, we're due for something. We're, we're due for something. Just in a macro. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's a roundabout numbers, but it's, real, it's, it's really close, closer to 2,000, 2,000, 2,000 than, uh, than anything else. And so that's just, you know, by, by way of information. So Adam lives 930 years, and if you look down here at uh, Methuselah, notice where he is born. So Adam doesn't die until 930, Methuselah is born in 687. So notice the overlap of their ages. There's an overlap of ages of 243 years. So Adam lives 
through 243 years of Methuselah's life. And Methuselah dies the same year that the flood comes. So here's, I think, important information. There's only really two lifespans between the Garden of Eden and the flood, which happens 1,656 years later. That's amazing. That's tremendous. So, so imagine, uh, and I'm going to ask you probably this a couple of times, imagine if the ancestor who was dragging his wife around by the hair in Europe or whatever 2,000 years ago uh, overlapped your mother's lifetime or your dad's. The kind of information that could be transferred when you have those kinds of of lifespans. On the other hand, we know more what the other side is. How much information is lost between generations? I wish I knew the stuff that my grandfather knew. I mean, he died 25, 30 years ago, and he lived through the, the Depression, through the Second World War. He was one of the first guys to work in refineries in East Texas on the, the big oil booms, and he, his first job was uh, they lived eking out an existence out in the woods in East Texas, no roads uh, to their house, and, and uh, uh, Texaco began to cut pipelines to Missouri because you Missourians had a bunch of oil, I guess. I don't know. They were transferring a bunch of oil down to the Gulf Coast for refining. They cut right through my great-grandfather's property. My grandfather, as a 12-year-old, got a job uh, climbing in doping pipes, as they call it. They would, they would uh, put chalk or some kind of grease on these pipes so that they could fit them together and they would weld them. He traveled with a crew all the way up there as a 12-year-old. What kind of information... Uh, he, he remembers, uh, I have a picture of him when he was nine years old, and it's, there, it's the only picture of the whole family. And the whole family is dressed in the best stuff that they have. My great-grandfather has a pair of overalls on with a jacket over the front of it. You can just see the straps, you know, his overalls. My grandfather is there with no shoes on because he didn't have any. Didn't need it. Uh, I know for a fact, nine years old, he already had a gun. He didn't, have a, didn't, didn't need a gun, right? <laughs> He didn't need shoes. What kind of information would be transferred if you still had contact with family members who were three, four hundred, five hundred years old? Yeah. You imagine that? So this is what's being put in front of us uh, in the scriptures. A couple, couple of other things. Like I said, you got only two people, Adam and Methuselah, whose lives overlap the entire period from the flood, from the creation of the flood. So if Methuselah wanted to know anything about the Garden of Eden, at least technically, go talk to great-great-granddad. He's still living up there on the Euphrates River. Go, go, see, go see your grandmother, you know. I'm sure, can you imagine family reunions? <laughs> Which child are you? What did we name her? That was a terrible name. We, you know, <laughs> child, just number them after 60 or 80 or whatever. And then your grandkids and then your great-grandkids, they're living this old. They're far more healthier than us. They have no television to watch. How many kids do they have? <laughs> How many kids? Nothing else to do. Have kids. They had a bunch. They had a bunch. So, so, so two people's lifespan, the entire period from the creation to the flood. Notice when Noah is born. Noah is born in, uh, here we are, way, let me get my pointer. Come on. Noah is born in 1056. I'll notice Adam is, has passed away, 126 years gap between the two of their lives. But notice, Noah is born in 1056. He's 500 years before his first son Shem is born. He lives 600 years before the flood comes. And then 
after the flood, here's the flood event, he lives another, what's my number, 350 years. So 600 years before, through the flood, nine, 350 years afterward. If you, by the way, if you wanted to know about what happened before the flood and what life was like, you had 350 years after the flood to go talk to great-granddad. And they all lived in the same area. Something else that's, uh, I think, very, at least very instructive, very interesting uh, to me. So Noah was born 126 years after Adam, lived 600 years after the flood, 350, or 600 years and then 350 years after the flood. Noah outlives, according to the numbers you're given in your Bible, his descendants. Notice, the, the, like I said, that it's not exactly to scale because this was just kind of drawn up. We did our best. It was kind of hard to do. But Noah, Noah lives 350 years after the flood. He dies in 2006. Notice his, what is this? His son, his grandson, his great-grandson, he, they outlive him. His great-great-grandson, his great-great-great-grandson, though, dies in 1994, way before Noah does. He outlives, outlives, outlives. He lives until Abraham, notice, when Abraham was born in 1876, Noah is still alive. He doesn't die until 2006. Interesting. I find that very interesting, very instructive. Uh, Abraham is 60 years old before Noah dies. And so, so if you will, there's only, there's only three lifespans between the Garden of Eden and Abraham. Adam, Methuselah, Noah. Noah was alive when Abraham was born. He was alive for 60 years of Abraham's uh, Noah was alive for 60 years of Abraham's life. So again, just three people. There's just a gap of three people uh, for better part of 2,000 years. Wow. What kind of things could be transferred during this time? What kind of intelligence and ability and know-how and uh, um, engineering and how to fix things and how to change things and what happens with the sun? and What happens? Oh, we could talk about climate change to those guys, couldn't we? Yeah, we talked to that back, back in the 1400s. They thought that, and it didn't work out, and you need to just throw... It's all oh, amazing the kind of stuff that we could do away with or add to ourselves and our culture and our well-being if we had that kind of information. Of course, you say, well, we have that information in books. And yeah, we do. The problem that it is is that those things can be redacted. In fact, we know that they have been. But what would it be like, for instance, because you know, here we are redacting the United States Constitution. What would it be like if, by the way, George Washington would only be 251 years old, he, just a kid. If that dude, could, we could have him in our church and say, you know what, that's what they're talking about up in Washington, what do you think? Well, that's ridiculous. The reason why we created the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the third, you know, et cetera, et cetera, was these reasons. Again, if you put it down in pen and paper and then you die, then it's left to those of us who are afterwards to interpret the stuff that you've said. And uh, unlike, uh, unlike the scriptures in which the author of the scripture still lives to interpret them, uh, our forefathers don't live to interpret the things that they said. Again, they did back then, though. They did. Very impressive. Noah's son, Shem, I think very impressive also. So notice right up under Noah. He's born in 1556. He's 100 years old when the flood comes and when his son is born. He lives 600 years after the flood. Dies in 2156. Notice, 
How many people he outlives? Son, grandson, doesn't live, outlive a great-grandson. Outlives everybody, lives until Jacob and Esau are 50 years old. When you add the numbers together. Wow. So if you wanted to know what happened before the flood, go ask Jim. When it'll happen after the flood, go ask Jim. But, but notice these ages, and even more important, I think, to, 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 to speak about here is not just the overlapping of the ages and how the information was transferred and all, all these things, but I think very important for us to recognize that he lived better back then, a lot longer. And then something after the flood, something environmentally, something, I don't know, genetically, whatever it was, something happened after the flood, here's the flood event, happened so that lives started getting really, really short. They just started dropping off really fast. We went straight from Noah who lived 500 years or 600 years before the flood, lived 350 years after the flood. He lived 950. His son was the oldest of the rest of them, only lived 700 years. Grandson lived even less. Great-grandson even less. Great-great, even though less, 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 all, all the way down. And so they had, and they, you know, I guess global warming, they got better down here, a little bit better, but not a lot. Not a lot, not, not significant, and their ages are indicative of, obviously, I think, better food, better environment uh, prior to the flood, it, it, at least uh, from what we can observe. Uh, a couple of reasons for this, uh, again, it's only conjecture. We can only talk about what possibly could have happened back then, and I'm not going to waste your time with that because I don't really know, and I don't think it super matters other than you just simply recognize that it was certainly different. They lived a whole lot longer for some reason, something environmentally, something food, something genetic, probably all the above was, was different. But a couple of things that, are, that point to the fact that things were different back then, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, a little note here of things being different, because Moses is writing this, right? And he's writing it to people who come after the flood who wouldn't have known these things. And so he adds little notes in here so that they will know, hey, the stuff that happens right now is not the way stuff happened back then. And here's one of those places. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, did I say that? Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord had not sent rain upon the earth. And there was no man to cultivate the ground, but the mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Sounds like it doesn't rain, doesn't it? You may say, well, it just didn't to begin with. Well, there's another place we can go, and we're going to go there. In fact, why don't you go there? Chapter 9 of Genesis. That I think demonstrates very clearly that there wasn't, that was one of the things that was very different. No rain. No rain? What, what, would, what would keep it from raining? Again, it's conjecture. But something was very different. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And then we're going to skip down to verses 12 through 17. This is, they've gotten off the ark on Mount Ararat. And God starts giving them instructions. He blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the sky. Remember that, by the way. We're going to come back to that. And everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands, they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. Here they finally get to eat steak. Remember, we saw at the end of chapter 1, only green plants. Now, is that what people actually did? Doubt it. They were sinning in every possible way. Uh, God commanded that they would eat green plants and fruits and vegetables. I'm sure they didn't do that. I'm sure they didn't follow any other rules that God, God gave them. But here, officially, God says you can eat meat. 
Every, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. You can eat anything. You can eat buzzards. You can eat snails. You can eat whatever. The, 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 the dietary codes are for the Jews. And even those have been lifted. So not that I'm recommending buzzard or whatever. But I mean, if you're starving, eat it. I give all of them to you as I gave the green plant. No, it's very emphatic. So I did at the end of chapter 1 give you the green plant. Now I'm making it legal to eat animals. Keep reading. Only you shall not eat the flesh of the life that's in it, the, 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 namely its blood. And surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast, and I will require it from every man, from every man's brother. I will require the life from him. Whoever sheds man's blood from man, his blood shall be shed. So there's, there you go. Capital punishment is not a, not a matter of our votes. It's a matter of God. Now, I don't trust a, a court, courtroom of men voting, you know, or, or women or whatever. I know we can be fallible, but, but it's very clear that if someone kills somebody, if they murdered them, uh, death penalty is not, not a matter of the United States or Canada or whatever. Uh, it's a matter of God. By man's blood he shall, shall be shed. In the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making with me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. Do you know what it is? Verse 13, I set the bow in the clouds. So only now? He's putting a rainbow. How many rainbows have y'all seen? One year for every one for every year of your life, for sure. Maybe a dozen, depending on where you're from. You've seen a lot of rainbows. So how, if the conditions today are the same as they were back then, how is it that only God is? How is it they're only now seeing a rainbow for the first time? Unless the conditions weren't the same. Again, it speaks to the I believe uh, the fact that there was no rain prior to the flood. So you can imagine the job that Noah would have saying it's going to flood from the skies and rain, you know, and flood everything. Now, we understand floods. I mean, I've seen a flood. Have you seen a flood? I've seen a flood. Waters rise. You know, it rains up river and you're down river. You've got a problem if you're living in the floodplain. Uh, but if you had never seen rain, water only came up, pressurized from the ground like a sprinkler system, as it, it seems to say there in Genesis chapter 2. Because, again, it demonstrates it here because of what sign is something that we've seen a long time. The sign that I'm going to give you is that there's going to be a street in front of the church. Well, there already is a street in front of the church. There's no sign in that. Signs are something you never saw before, like a virgin. Behold, a virgin will conceive. Have you ever seen that before? No, that's a sign. Hard to miss it. Likewise, you've never seen a rainbow before, and now we're seeing rainbows? That's a sign. So, again, it what, what does it speak to, I, you know, to say that I'm certain? I'm not really certain. But it does speak to the fact that something was very different from what we know today. And whatever that was, we can be sure of this, reflects directly on the, the people and reflects directly, and this is what I really want to get to, the animals in that era. If conditions were better for people, don't you think they were better for animals as well? If people were living 900 to 1,000 years, what about the animals? We have much, much less, much shorter lifespans compared to the, those guys, right? Those guys and gals. There's no ladies listed here, but the assumption is ladies may be living longer because, you know, the old guys got to die off, you know, before you do. So maybe the ladies were making to a thousand. What about the animals? What, what would happen if animals lived instead of like a white-tailed deer here in Texas, 11, 12 years as much to get out of them? If they live 30, 40, 60, 80, 100, 200 years, what, what, what would that do to these creatures? 
What, what, what would be the difference between, we have a, a, a moose and bear expert over here. I didn't have a conversation with, I intended to, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to, a guy over here and his, well, and his wife who lived off a of bear and moose for a long time, like most of their lives. So, so uh, the, the, our, our Yukoners over here, Terry. Terry, let me ask you a question. So, if, so, so moose live 15 years. Do you get 15, 18 years out of them if you're lucky? Is a maximum bear maybe 20, 25 years? Grizzly bear, mountain grizzlies. What if, uh, tell us, you're in, the guy's a scientist. I mean, you had to make money off of this stuff. He, he knows. I wouldn't go against what he said. You're out in the middle of the woods and there's bears and, you know, gigantic animals wandering around and you're going to say, I don't believe that's true. Well, you can do whatever you want to. You may get hurt really bad or maybe even worse. So, so Terry, in your opinion, if, uh, if your moose stopped living 15 years and started living 50, what would be the difference? Just like I said, I hadn't had a conversation with you. I don't know. Be bigger bodied. And they're right now walking around a big bull with 1,000 pounds, 1,200 pounds. What are your bigger bulls? 12 to 1,400 pounds. And what about your bigger grizzlies? They'd keep on eating grass and dead stuff and whatever they could catch. And so if, if animals lived, and, and maybe in the, all, all of us have experience with some, some sort of animal, whether it be cows or cats or whatever, if animals live far longer than they live today, they would be far bigger in most cases. It's, it's interesting that if you go back in the geologic column, go back in the fossil record, the, the same animals, we have bears, we have moose, we have rats, we have weasels, we have cats, we have almost without exception, they're all far bigger. Why? I think you have an answer. I think you have an answer. And, and, and I say that one group of animals would be affected drastically by this. And that, that group of animals is the one that people are most interested in when it comes to prehistoric times. Reptiles. Reptiles for sure grow every year of their life. That's, that's, that's what's happening with me. I'm, I think I'm a reptile. <laughs> They go, I'm growing, I'm growing taller. That's why my hair is getting, you know, less and less because I'm just growing right through it. <laughs> Reptiles for sure grow every year of their life. Uh, I grew up around a lot of alligators. Uh, we were commonly saw them 10 to 12 feet long. A, a big alligator was also an old alligator. Uh, here's the, the world record right now is this, this one. 15 footer. Uh, doesn't say the date on there. It's killed like in the 80s, I think, or the 90s. A record alligator, 1,000 pounds, 15 foot, 9 inches long. It was only 30 years old. Uh, the oldest alligators today are living somewhere around 80 years, and they're only doing that in captivity. Uh, but generally, a 30-year-old alligator is, a, is an ancient one. But what would happen if alligators lived much longer? They continue to grow. Like I said, a big alligator is also an old alligator. What if it didn't live 30 years, it lived 300 years? What would happen? It's easy. They would be huge. And guess what? When you dig them up, the fossils, guess what you find? Way bigger stuff like this. Giants, crocodilian of some sort. They were absolute monsters. And it wasn't just them. Uh, could this be an explanation, though, for the size of dinosaurs and other animals found in the fossil record and the lack of size comparatively could, today because they live so much less time? Uh, we basically cap off in our growth, but man, did they live a long time back then. Here's, here's some, some pictures. Here's, uh, in case you're out there hunting for sea turtles or sea turtle eggs, how about that sea turtle? 
and try to knock that one off its nest here on the beach. You wouldn't be uncertain where that thing climbed up to lay its eggs. It would be like a bulldozer plowed, you know, its way up there. A couple thousand, three thousand pounds. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, wolves. Here's, here's some uh, artist depiction of the size of the bones of the wolves that they... It's the size of a grizzly. Giant. Uh, cats. Not a whole lot larger. I don't know why but generally about the same size of the bigger cats we have today, but there were a lot more other species. Uh, the, I, the picture of the bear there is just in comparison to the hog that's standing behind it. Look at the size of that wild pig. You're not going to take him out with a 22. let let's just say that. You wouldn't want to hit it with your car. Here, bears. Here's, uh, uh, they have several bears that are now extinct. Short-faced bear. I mean, they're, again, you've you got to remember, these these paleontologists, archaeologists, or I'm sorry, paleontologists, they're digging up bones. So there's only a certain amount of which you can be certain of the things that they're saying. They're, they're looking at bones inside of dirt or inside of a rock. They are, there's a certain level which they're guessing. What did the animal look like? Uh, they, can, they can judge based upon the current animals that we have living today, the size of them, but, but most, most species were bigger back then, whatever then was. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that one in just a second. But here, oh, I, let's, let's just go to that one. The, another thing that was bigger back then was people. Not all of them, I don't think. But, but some of them were. Here's Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. The Nephilim, which means the fallen ones. That's what the name literally means. Uh, why do they call them that? Because probably because they were mixing these uh, sons of God, which were angels, mixing with the daughters of uh, mankind and they bore children to them. So how does an angel sleep with a girl? I have no idea. I'm just telling you the result was these ungodly sized, these fallen ones. Probably called fallen ones because these angels were fallen that were mixing. They bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Of course, every time you find them in the scriptures, they're always the enemies of God, enemies of the people of God. Here's uh, uh, just an excerpt from Numbers chapter 13. Of course, you're familiar with Goliath and all that. The sons of the Anak, the Anakim, they called them multiple names. Nephilim was the fallen ones. Anakim was the ancestor. Anak was their ancestor. The land through which we have gone. Here's the spies come back with their report, and they dissuade everybody from going. It was a huge event for Israel. You know the story. The land through which we have gone to spy out the land they, that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it were people of great stature. How big? Well, we only have a few examples in the scriptures, but Goliath's over nine feet. We're talking serious NBA stars. <laughs> we also saw the Nephilim there, the sons of Anak. Like I said, the Anakim are the part of the Nephilim, and they were all they we were like grasshoppers in uh, our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So it wasn't just animals that were big; also people were really big. And uh, someone might say, well, there's no mention of dinosaurs uh, in the Bible prior to the flood. I mean, there's, there's not. There's also, you know, no bunnies and squirrels mentioned, no, no rhinos or elephants mentioned. It doesn't mean that they weren't there. Uh, but there are a number of mentions of all the above after the flood, including dinosaurs. I want us to go and take a look at this, this spot in Job chapter uh, 40.
Job chapter 40. So, so Job spends, with, along with his friends, uh, a big portion of the book of Job. Job spends a big portion of the book of Job complaining. His friends spend the, the same portion saying that he's a sinner, and he's the whole time saying, I'm not a sinner. I didn't do what you say, even though he knows he's not perfect. And then God intervenes, and God basically takes, takes Job to task and says, who are you to ask questions of me? Which is very interesting. Because Job feels like he's got a right. I, need, I got a right to know why you did what you did. And God basically says in the book of Job, no, you don't. And by the way, you need to learn to live with that. Because you don't have a right to nothing from God. Nothing good, I should say. God does what he does. If he doesn't want to tell you, well then, build a bridge, right? And get over it. So that's effectively what he's saying here to Job. But he, he, he lines out some things that Job... He says, listen, do you know where this came from? Did you create the stars? Did you create the foundations of the earth? Did you create? And he starts naming some animals that you and I don't have the privilege of seeing today. But Job was very aware of them because God describes them in a way because there were common creatures to him. Job chapter 40, verses 15 through 21, first of all. Behold, behemoth is a Hebrew word just meaning something that's super big. Which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Now what could that be? Now, a ton of things. By the way, if you have an NIV, there's a footnote that down there that says, which is, which is really weird, calls this thing a, a hippopotamus. Let's keep reading. Tell me how this could be a hippopotamus. Eats grass like an ox. Well, I guess that could be a hippo. It could be an elephant. It could be anything. Here's the problem. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power, the muscles in his belly. Okay, well, these are powerful creatures. He bends his tail like a cedar. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you ever seen the tail of an elephant or a hippo? Or a rhino, disqualified all three of those right there with that word. This is some creature that you're not seeing right now. Really, really big, eats grass, has a tail like a cedar tree. Bends his tail like a cedar, his sinews of his thighs are knit together, his bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs are like bars of iron. Some creature that Job was very familiar with that God describes for him and that they knew, common creature, that you and I don't see today. What was that? Hmm. Interesting. Job 41. Well, let's keep reading. Let's read down through verse 21. He is the first of God's ways. Let his maker bring him near, with, uh, near his sword. Surely the mountains bring him food. Uh, all the beasts of the field play there. Verse 21. Under the lotus plant he lies down in the covert of the reeds and in the marsh. He talks, goes on and on about who he is. The rivers rage. He's in the water. He's on the land. He's everywhere. The Jordan. He's down in the Jordan River. People, who went just... Just got back with us from the Jordan River. Imagine that, that dude crawling around down there. That would be a little bit disturbing. Job 41, verse 1 through 3. He changes creatures. So now another creature that Job would have been, and his friends would have been familiar with that God begins to describe. Can you draw Leviathan with a fish hook? Notice Job doesn't interject. What are you talking about? No, Job knows what he's talking about. Or press down his tongue with a cord. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? In other words, this is not an animal you would go up and just grab onto or put a lasso over or whatever. You wouldn't do that. Or will he speak to you uh, soft words? In other words, you, you don't go up and mess with this animal. There's plenty of animals today that I wouldn't mess with. This was a far bigger one. Verse, 20, verse 12, chapter 41. I will not keep silent concerning his limbs. So here's his arms and legs, if you will, or his legs. Or his mighty strength, or his orderly frame. 
Who can strip off his outer armor? Who can come within his double mail? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth there is terror. His strong scales are like uh, are his pride. Shut up as with a tight seal. One who is so near, uh, some, so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another and they clasp each other and they cannot be separated. He, but let's stop right, right there. Sound like a gator to me. To that point. Until we get to the next point. Something gators don't do. Verse 18. He sneezes and flashes forth light. Man, if that ever happened in the marsh of my brother and I, we would have been walking with Jesus on the water. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, that gator just blew fire out of his nose. We are out, out of here. His eyes are like the lids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. You know, in every verbal and written history, almost every ancient history, they all have creatures just like this. Today, though, we say, well, they were dumb back then and they lied all the time. But today, we're smart and we don't lie. Hmm. Hmm. Out of his mouth go forth burning torches, spark fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils smoke goes forth and from the boiling pot of uh, burning rushes is not a creature that you and I are familiar with or have seen. His breath kindles coals, the flame go forth from his mouth, his, his neck lodges, in his neck lodges strength and dismay leaps, from his, leaps before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on him and immovable. His heart is as hard as a stone, even as hard as a lower millstone. When he raises himself up, and this is, doesn't sound like a gator, they don't raise themselves up, they're, they're on the ground. My, the mighty fear because of the crashing they are bewildered. The sword that reaches him cannot avail for the spear and the dart and the javelin. We kill gators all the time. Some legal, some, you know, I can't really say. For the, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin, he regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned into stubble before him. Clubs are regarded as stubble. The laughs, he laughs at the rattling of javelin. He under, in our parts are like the shard, uh, sharp pot shards. He spreads out like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep, the depths boil like a pot. That is, as he swims away, I guess. He makes the sea like a jar of ointment. Uh, behind him, he makes wakes like a shine to shine. One would think the deep to have gray hair, his wake, if you will. Nothing on earth is like him. One made without fear. He looks on everything that is high, and he is the king over the sons of pride. And so this, this creature that we don't have any kind of uh, point of reference today uh, with, uh, not the least of which is that he's blowing smoke and fire out of his nose. You may say, well, that's just a, that's something that couldn't actually happen. Well, did you know, you know there's a beetle in South America that blows fire out of its backside? <laughs> did you know that? There he is. It's the way he defends himself. He mixes ga these two chemicals together in his abdomen and it blows out as a, as a he's a little bitty guy. And I guess that's the reason why God gave him that ability. Here's a finger up against him. Notice he's blowing it. It's smoking. So, so I don't know how you feel, but I feel if God can create a beetle that can blow fire out of its behind, that he can create a creature that blow fire out of his nose. I, again, all the old traditions, I mean, almost without exception, one side of the globe or the other, have these dragon creatures that have fire coming out of their nose. We sit over here 
you know, 4,000, 5,000 years later and say, that can't be true. Based upon what? But we're certainly digging up creatures that, are, that have the bones like this. But we're going to go by the bones and determine what that creature was, what its flesh looked like, and what it was capable of doing back then. Um, I think that's a little bit uh, presumptuous, I, I do believe. So, so remember also, there is a huge hype around dinosaurs, especially the very large ones. We couldn't have existed with them. They would kill and devour, and there were no way the mankind could have existed. They must have existed millions of years before because we couldn't have existed in parallel. And I got a huge problem with that. First of all, because I believe the Bibles and I don't believe those yahoos. But secondly, I grew up around stuff like this. We swam with gators. Nothing to see a 10-foot gator. 12-foot would have been odd. But we swam with them. We skied. We would catch them. Uh, my brother came to pick me up. I, was, uh, I played football, and uh, he was in the band. And uh, the band was over before. They didn't have band practice or something. He came to pick me up. And I was just in shorts like this. No shoes and, and a shirt. And we got inside my parents' uh, sedan. And as soon as I jumped in the car, he said, Oh, don't, don't put your feet on the floor. And my brother said that. <laughs> you better not. Because we, my brother was known to have stuff. Uh, as an example, when Val and I dated in, in college, uh, his, his pet was a rattlesnake. We had it in our we stayed in our bedroom in, a, in an aquarium. He was the friendliest rattlesnake. He was just such a nice guy. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff my brother liked to mess with. He had, he had caught a gator on the way to pick me up. It was crossing the road. He picked it up and thrown it in the car. It crawled up under the dash. And he don't put your feet down there because, you know, little things are uh, meaner than junkyard dogs. We, we, we mess with gators all the time. We, we would catch big ones. We would catch little ones. We had hunting seasons. We still do. He worked. My brother worked for the wildlife department there. They had, uh, he was a guide for alligator hunts. I mean, we, I can tell you about gators. I can tell you what they do and they don't do. And I will tell you this. We never had issues with them. They were far. They could easily destroy us. You only had an issue if you cornered a gator or caught a gator and you got any part of your body close to him. But a gator in the wild no matter how big he was, would not mess with you. He would not. Uh, he would never, ever, under any circumstances. The only ones we ever had a problem with are the ones that people fed. If they ever overcame their God-given fear of human beings, you were in huge trouble. You'd be fishing in a boat and casting and turning around, and there's a gigantic gator laying next to the boat on the surface. You, you better not get in the water with him. Because somebody has been from a boat giving him food, and now he associates that boat with food, and you know, anything that falls out is you know, truly fair game. Only one death in my whole, whole area in all the years I lived there, and it was an eight-year-old boy, a 10-foot gator killed him, and it was because this gator that the family had fed for the past 15 years off the back of the deck. And uh, mom and dad had sent him out there to dump out the scraps of the gator, and apparently, I don't know, he fell in, or we don't know what happened, but anyway, they found him like you know, a week or two later, the gator had killed him. But uh, gators don't hunt people. They don't. We would go looking for them. They would hide from us. We would ski. We, would, we knew there was a big gator that stayed on the corner of the, of the bio there where I grew up. We knew that if you came around the corner fast enough in the boat that you could go up and we would spray him with our ski because, you know, because we wanted to be able to tell our girlfriends that we did that. <laughs> Many times, come around that corner, spray the gator, and then try to cross back over the wake and fall. You're in the water. The boat goes on ahead of you. has to turn around and come back and get you. You're in the water with a gator that you just sprayed water on. Guess what? He does not mess with you. 
He doesn't want anything to do with you because they have a, a God-given fear of us. Back to the Wilkinsons. You know why they're, they come south every year out of the Yukon? Because the bears take over the whole Yukon. <laughs> every winter. Because Canadians taste like Canadian bacon. <laughs> and so... There are, I don't know about the whole Yukon, but I know on their part of the Yukon, there are more bears than there are people. If the bears decided they wanted to do something, there wouldn't be, I don't know if there's enough ammunition. Uh, if they wanted to. They're far bigger, far more powerful. A, a house, we stayed in a, one of their cabins. The, the cabin has got, I mean, they've got electric wire around the thing. They've got barbed wire. They've got it. It's built out of logs. A bear tore into that thing. There were scrape scratches down the side of the wall. This grizzly got in and trying to climb up to the top. Scratches down the side of the wall. And it just, he used that as an example of why we need to pay attention when he tells us to do stuff. And boy, he had our attention with that bear claws. Because <laughs> if, they, if they want to do something, they do it. Wild animals are far more, far more powerful, far more capable. If, if the wild world wanted to take us over, they would do it. I, I, I debated on whether I would read this little article to you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Y'all don't have anything else to do, right? I mean, it's, I know we're running. I'm going to read this. Have you read about the guy who tried to lasso a deer? I love this story so much. <laughs> I'm, going to I'm going to read it to you because it just, I, I'll enjoy it if none of you do. <laughs> so this guy, it's a true story. I don't know where he was from, but he sounds like me. That's the reason why I appreciate it so much. It sounds like some dumb thing I would do. So this guy decides that why shoot a deer? Because when you shoot them, of course, it puts out stress hormones in their body. It affects the, taints the meat. And plus, the deer's been eating the brush and everything else. Why not lasso a deer? He gets himself a, a hunting license. But lasso a deer, hog tie put a bag over its head, put it in a pen, feed it out for a couple of months, corn-fed venison. It makes total sense. And he would feed his cows every day, and every day a couple, two or three does would come up to the trough and stand across from the trough from him, waiting for him to put the feed in for the cows, and they would eat with the cows. He thought, I'm just going to lasso one of, these, one of these deer, you know, hog tie it, put it in a pen, and feed it out. And so the story begins, <laughs> the story begins with his, um, as he called it, his education. So this three does show up. He says the deer, after he threw the the lasso over its head, the deer just stood there and stared at me. I wrapped the rope around my waist and twisted the end so I could get a good hold because it's like a calf or a colt. <laughs> this is just a doe. We're not talking about horns. We're talking about a, a young doe. The deer just stood there and stared at me, but you could tell she was mildly concerned about the whole rope situation. So I took a step forward. She took a step back. I put a little tension on the rope, and then he says, I received an education. He said, the deer, in all capitals, exploded. <laughs> the second thing he said, I learned pound for pound deer are a lot stronger than a cow or a colt. A cow or a colt in that kind of weight range, he says, I could fight down with some dignity. He said, a deer, no way. He said, that thing ran and bucked and twisted and pulled, and there was no control on that deer and certainly no getting close to it. And as it jerked me off of my feet and started dragging me across the ground, it occurred to me that having a deer firmly attached to a rope was probably not the best idea. <laughs> he said the only upside was that they don't have much stamina. He said, so after a mere 10 minutes, <laughs> it got tired. 
and not so quick to jerk me off my feet and drag me around. And it took me a few minutes to realize this since I was mostly blinded by the blood flowing down from a cut over my right eye. <laughs> he says, at that point, I lost my appetite for corn-fed venison. He says, as you can imagine. <laughs> he said, I hated the thing, and to hazard the guess, the thing felt probably the same thing about me. He said, I just wanted to get the devil creature off the end of my rope, and despite the gash in my head and several large knots on my head where I had cleverly, strategically, uh, uh, he says, uh, uh, arrested the deer's movements with my head by placing it against some jagged rocks and as it drove me across the ground. He said, I can still think clearly enough to recognize that I shared some tiny amount of responsibility for the rope around this deer's neck, and if I just cut the rope loose, that the deer, you know, would, would die some kind of nasty death as it, you know, he said, so I thought, well, I, I've got to get this rope off of this deer. So he says, I managed to line it up with the, between my truck and, and, and the feeder and a little trap that I had set up beforehand, kind of like a squeeze chute. And I backed it in there, and I started moving toward it uh, to get the rope off its neck. And then he says, do you know that deer bite? <laughs> He said, well, they do. He said, never in a million years would I have thought that a deer would bite. But uh, so I was very surprised when I reached up to take hold of the rope and the deer grabbed me by the wrist. And now when a deer bites you, it's not like a horse. He bites and lets go. A deer bites and shakes his head like a pit bull, he said. <laughs> and they bite hard and they won't let go and it hurts. And the proper reaction when a deer bites you is probably to freeze and draw back slowly. He said, instead, I screamed like a woman and wrenched my hand away, he said. <laughs> and he said, my methods were ineffective. So I felt like uh, as the deer uh, shook me and uh, he said, I'm you know, smarter than the deer. So as he, he uh, bit the fool out of my one arm, I reached with the other arm and pulled the lariat you know, over its head. And uh, he said, that's when I learned my next lesson about deer behavior. He says, deer will stand up on their hind legs and strike you with their paws. <laughs> and their hooves are surprisingly sharp. I learned long ago when horses strike at you with their hooves and you can't get away, the best thing to do is make a loud noise and move quickly in their direction. And the fear, you know, the, deer, the horse will back down. He says, this was not a horse. <laughs> this was a deer. Obviously much trickier. Uh, some other trick would have worked, but of course, within a millisecond, I devised a different strategy. And he says, I screamed like a woman and turned around and ran. He says, I was raised around horses, and if a horse uh, paws at you or hits at you, you never turn your back on him because they're likely to hit you in the back of the head. And he says, Well, like I said, this was no horse. He says, But it did act like a horse because he says, When I turned and ran, the deer hit me in the back of the head. The next thing I knew, I was on the ground. He said, when a deer paws at you and knocks you down, it doesn't immediately depart. I, I suspect it does not recognize that the danger is past. And what it does instead is paw, you, paw your back and jump up and down on you while you're laying there crying like a little girl covering your head. <laughs> he said, I finally managed to crawl underneath the truck and the deer went away. And now I know why people hunt deer with guns and scopes, he says, because it, <laughs> it evens the odds. <laughs> oh, I love that story so much. The, the, uh, you got, it's better. You got, he, he puts a lot more into it, but, uh, we, for the sake of time, I cut it short, but so I, I, maybe you haven't found out or read between the lines that I don't buy the whole, we couldn't exist with dinosaurs thing. I don't buy it. I don't buy it because of what God says. Genesis, we already read it. Nine. The Lord blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and the fear of you and the terror of you. It's the only thing we have on these creatures. Because I'm telling you, if a doe, a little doe, can tear a, man, a grown man up like that, a bear, a wolf, a gator, a shark, anything, 
if they're not afraid of us, we're better load up some ammunition because they're coming for us. And they're out, you know, as far as Texas is concerned, they're, they're vastly outnumbering us. Uh, they're going to put the fear of them on us. That's all that we have. The reason why they're not marching into Watson Lake over there in Yukon is because they're afraid of people. Not because they're incapable of taking down the whole, what is it, 3,000? How many? 2,000. They could take less, 1,500. <laughs> Far more bears in that part of the Yukon and Northwest Territory than in, the, in British Columbia than, than any people. If they wanted to, if they had no fear of human beings, then poof, no problem. None whatsoever. Another evolutionists have a problem explaining is why do they fear us if this isn't true, that is? Why do they fear us? Oh, well, they see us as predators. I, you know, I know offense to anyone here, but you don't look very predatory. Where's your horns? Where's your fangs? Where's your ripply muscles? Where's your camouflage? I just don't see anything of what they recognize other predators. I've, I've watched animals as they dealt with predators and prey situation, and I know why they do what they do. But it makes no sense other than this. Makes no sense why animals are afraid of us and our supposed ancestors, the apes, by the way, aren't feared. So why aren't they? But they fear us as, as all other animals do. Why? Unless, again, unless the Bible is true. And it's all that we've got going for them. Like I said, back to the alligator thing. I never had to run in with any kind of alligator because they were afraid of us. And if they weren't, we'd be in big trouble. They would overrun us. And all this to say, like I said, I don't buy the whole dinosaurs couldn't have existed with humans line because I believe God made it where they could exist with us, just like all other creatures. So, so a T-Rex, by the way, which, by the way, alligators have no brains, neither do T-Rexes. It's easy to outsmart a gator, super easy. You just don't get where he is, you don't do what he's doing, and you, you don't mess with him in a way that you shouldn't mess with. They're not going to come get you. A, a, a wolf, a very smart animal. A coyote, if a coyote, I guarantee if a coyote weighed 100 pounds, we'd all be in huge trouble. Because they're ooh, smart creatures, very, very smart. Cats, very smart creatures. If they didn't fear us, big trouble. Big trouble. And, and back, back to gators and their large teeth and the dinosaurs and their large teeth. Mainly gators aren't predators. They're mainly carrion eaters. They love dead stuff. Love a dead cow floating in the bio where I grew up. Love big fish that would die. Love to sit under cleaning tables. The big padre, have y'all been to see the big gator that's up here? Y'all seen him up here? Okay, that's 10 miles from my hometown. That's where that gator came from. That guy, people fed underneath cleaning tables where they were cleaning fish, and he would stay at the boat ramps and boat docks, and the only reason why he's down here is because he got so friendly that he decided that people weren't feeding him enough, and so somebody pulled up in their boat to get out, and he just climbs in the boat with them to get to the ice chest. So big padre, and so the game wardens, what they do with them is when an animal gets like that, there's nowhere you can take them that they won't come back to because the gators can travel quite a long ways. Over land, by the way. They have no problem walking across land. One of the biggest gators I ever saw in my entire life was between, was south of San Antonio. It's not gator territory. He was run over on the highway. I would say 12 to 13 feet, giant gator, just like a big speed bump laid out in the road. Somebody had run over him. There's not water for miles and miles and miles because gators don't, they like water. They don't have to have water. They're a lizard. They can get up and walk for miles. They're, he was hunting for water, no doubt, and cross, cross the highway. But they, they can be anywhere, do whatever they want, but, but they prefer dead stuff. Uh, if they kill you, which I don't recommend that, they will not eat you. 
They will stuff you under a bank for about a week until they soften you up good. Then they will eat you. The, the same kind of teeth, by the way, if you'll look carefully, that are in these dinosaurs that they're digging up are the same kind of teeth you find in these gators. They're not serrated. They're not made for tearing flesh. They're not made for cutting, I should say, incising flesh. They're made for tearing stuff that's soft. So I'm not saying that these guys probably weren't predators. I'm, I'm sure they probably were. But I would suggest to you with their small brains and their really, really big teeth that more than likely what they did more than anything because the animals were far bigger back then is they ate dead stuff because stuff was really big that died. Mammals, died, uh, reptiles, everything was uh, apparently far bigger. And uh, not a reason for us to say there were these roaming predators that were out hunting, hunting everything. Again, these guys are just simply and gals telling you stuff based upon stuff they're seeing in rocks because we have nothing living in the, in the midst of us. Uh, we have alligators, and I think they're a good rule of thumb. Speaking of dinosaurs, prior to, prior, to the, prior to the flood, people were dinosaurs. 900 years, like I said, can you imagine? George Washington's still with us after, he'd just be a youngster, 291 years. Uh, another age, Martin Luther, 500, he'll only be 540 years. Wouldn't it be great to have him come and sit in our services and give a critique of our theology and how we're standing up for our faith? I would love to hear that guy. Practically, all the names that we have here, back to chapter 5, we're coming all the way back around. Practically all the names we have here in chapter 5 have meanings. Have you ever, ever seen the meanings presented? These meanings are significant. Let me, let me take you to a couple of places just by way of introduction. These, these names are very, very important for us. Not only the names themselves, but the meanings of the names. Genesis chapter 5, verse 29 Here's a meaning of a name. Genesis 5, verse 29. Now he called his name, this is the son of Lamech, called his name Noah. This shall give, this one shall give rest. That's what his name means, to give rest or to give peace. To give, he'll give rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now turn to Genesis chapter 4. Verse 25. So Cain has killed Abel, and it says, verse 25, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave her to a son and named him Seth. And again, the name had a meaning. Why did she call him that? Just because there wasn't a book to look at on the Internet, you know, to pick your child's name from. Very specifically, she says, God has appointed me. That's what his name means, to be appointed appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And, and we know Adam's name. Adam's name isn't actually a name. Adam's name just simply is the Hebrew word for man. There was just man and woman. There's not a need for a name. He didn't have to be named John or whatever because there was no other man to differentiate him from, at least the beginning. So his name just means man. And so we have, these, we have three names, one at the beginning, and, I mean two at the beginning and one at the end that we know the meanings of. What are the chances that all these other names have meanings? Now, there's a really good chance. So the, if we won't read it, but you can look there and follow along with me in, in uh, chapter 5 of Genesis. Enosh, Enosh, which is the son of Seth, his name means mortal. That's what it means. Kenan, his name means sorrow. Mahalalel, his name means to be blessed or to praise. You can hear it, right? Hallelujah, Mahalalel, you can hear that. His, it's, uh, and still, still we have some of that 
phonetic in our languages today, which, by the way, comes from Hebrew. Uh, Jared means will come down. Enoch, his name means teaching. Methuselah, we've already looked at the meaning of his name. His name, his death shall bring. How did, how did Enoch know that his son was going to be dying the same year the flood came? Because like I said, he's a prophet. Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. Lamech uh, had a name. He's the father of Noah, right? His name means despairing or lamenting. And we still have this. Phonetically, we have a similar word, right? To lament, to Lamech, to lament. It's still a part of us. We're really not that far from these people, linguistically or genetically or really in time. We really aren't. Of course, Lamech's son's names know, and we know what his name means. And so if there were any order, order of these names, what I'm about to present to you would not work. But in that the meanings of those names, when we put them together, you get a very interesting sentence. So, of course, the first name was Adam. His name means man. He had a son named Seth. His name means appointed. He had a son named... Uh, what was it? Enosh means mortal. So let's put these names together. Man appointed, again, in any other order it wouldn't work. Man appointed, mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing hope. Yeah. Well, it's not contrived. That's the order. Any other order, this wouldn't work. I'll read it again. Man appointed, mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, I believe he did that. Teaching that his death shall bring the despairing hope. And you got the gospel. Chapter 5. These are part, parts of the scripture. Chapter 5 is part of the scriptures that most of us don't read because we can't pronounce the names. And, you know, who cares if they live 930 years? Well, I think you should care. I think it should matter. I think, that, I, I think God has given us all the word of God for all the people of God. And that we need to know these things. Uh, we need to understand them. So uh, some amazing stuff, right? I think. So we'll stop right there. Questions? Yes, sir. What's your nearest estimate as to when Job lived? My nearest estimate as to when Job lived by, by the descriptives that it gives of the countries that he refers to and where his friends are from, he lived during the age of Abraham. So Job is not a Jew. Abraham was the first Jew, but during the time of Abraham, so about, about 2,000 about years after the flood. So, but he's also living in the part of the world where none of us would live today, and hardly anybody does, which is Saudi Arabian Peninsula. But he describes these lush forests and trees, and stuff was different back then. Stuff was very different. The well-watered plain of the Jordan, why? If, if we just got back from Israel the the southern end of the Dead Sea is the nastiest moonscape-looking place you could possibly ever imagine. Why would uh, uh, Lot choose that over the land of Israel when Abraham gave him the choice? He says he chose it because it was well-watered. Well-watered with, I don't know, salt brine or something today. Something was very different back then. Something was very attractive about that place that has very much changed. And of course, the judgment of Solomon Moore was part of that. But but the whole region in that area, when you go and when you live there, and when you see that, and when you camp there, as we did, had a lot of fun camping, didn't we? Yeah. We're going to do it. We won't tell you what happened to us before we went to camp. We got, ate some, drank some water that wasn't the best, and then we got to stay in a campground, which... <laughs> I'll let you think about that. 
Let's just say the trail to the bathroom was really <laughs> well worn. <laughs> it was fun. Where else would you go for that kind of experience? And then we got, we'll go by gunfire. It was really awesome. Across the border in, in Egypt, they were, you know, just shooting the people that need to be shot over there. But uh, sound travels very well in desert areas, really amazingly so. And if you're from the woods or from the places where there's lots of trees or whatever, you can fire a gun not very far away, have no idea where that is. You fire a gun in an open area like that with no trees, nothing to block, oh, the sound carries tremendously. So there you go. Somebody else? Something else? Yes, sir. You're complaining about the camp conditions. Well, I'm sorry, man. We've already got your money. I'm sorry. They went with us to Israel. So God marked Cain to protect him from the people. What, yeah. Explain uh, how the, what people are that he's being protected. His brothers and sisters the only option. Who was Cain's wife? His sister. <laughs> Kissing your sister. Yeah, that's the only option we have. God doesn't rule out in, incest, as we call it. doesn't become incest until after the time of them, uh, well, the, the coming of the law, which is in Mount Sinai, which is 2000, more than 2,000 years afterwards. So, something genetically changed where brothers and sisters couldn't marry and have children. Something environmentally changed where people didn't live as long. Something environmentally changed because animals were far bigger. Again, these are things that we can see. These are, again, what is science? Observable and repeatable. You can see these giant creatures. You can see, we're going to talk about it next time, the flood. You can see these, this vast... Uh, coal seams and oil and gas reserves, there was a tremendous amount of vegetation and animals, carbon-chained whatever creatures in the, in the past that all died pretty much at the same time, all got buried, and uh, we were burning them in our cars and in our houses and using them to uh, power our uh, other things. And so it's, uh, something was very, very different back then. Very, very different. Yes, ma'am. We don't, well, we don't know how long he was in the Garden of Eden. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, Adam and Eve. Yeah, we know they didn't have any children before, before that. They didn't have television. What if, you know, they don't have kids. So only, I would say less than nine months. <laughs> they were in there only, you know, because no children are born until they're already out. So I'm just guessing. I don't know, rule of thumb. That was short, though. It was real short. But it doesn't give us a time anywhere in the scriptures. Yes, sir? Speaking of dinosaurs existing with men, uh, how do so-called experts explain soft tissue in dinosaurs? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, how does, he's asking about, the they, they still find dinosaur bones and or prehistoric animals with still soft, soft tissue. Soft tissue. How do they explain that? So if they've been laying in the ground for a million years, you know, first of all, there shouldn't be bones, much less soft tissue. Uh, how do they explain this unless, unless the burial of this creature was sometime far more recent than most experts uh, claim? Again, they have, they have an agenda to push, and they'll throw stuff like that out. But you'll, you'll see it come up, and they'll some, have some kind of um, un... Um, cohesive explanation uh, for it, uh, which, and, and I appreciate the ones, at least at least the ones that are the honest ones say, we don't really know. 
I appreciate that. That's great. Because, yeah. Truly. It's the ones that, you know, all these conjectures based off, off zero facts uh, bother me a lot. Yes, sir. I read how the uh, Smithsonian Institute is hiding, they're finding all these uh, dinosaur, giant bones and giants, American Indians got pictures of these. Oh, the, the creature, you mean human beings, human beings yeah. Yeah. Smithsonian Institute is hiding. Or, I've heard I've heard the same thing. Yeah, I don't really know. I know. Um, well, I know. You know. Obviously, giants were were, were clearly taught in the scriptures. Uh, there's evidence here in Glen Rose, Texas. Uh, there there is uh, the river there. I think it's the Glen Rose River. I don't remember which, but uh, there's dinosaur tracks there. It's famous for its dinosaur tracks. It's also famous for its human footprints. And some of these human footprints are in dinosaur tracks. So the same mud the dinosaur was stepping in, the human stepped in right behind the dinosaur or vice versa. But some of these tracks are 20 inches or longer. You know, some big old basketball players, you know, <laughs> barefoot people. So uh, again, I, uh, there, is no, there is no reason whatsoever to not believe the scriptures are true. I don't think everybody was a giant back then. I have read some people said everybody was big back then. You know, it seems to indicate that only the fallen ones were big, the Nephilim. So every, whatever, whatever regular size was, I don't even know what regular size was. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a reptile. I'm continuing to grow. I don't know how big you got after 900 years. <laughs> but uh, why would you like to know those guys, their, their brain power? Do you have an answer to that, brother? Maybe or Yes, sir. Well, I just wanted to make a comment that it was interesting I was re-reminded when you read that scripture that the giants would devour people. There are ancient stories of them of eating people. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were, they'll dev the land devours its inhabitants. Yeah. yeah. The Native Americans do, and I think over over in the Solomon Islands they have those stories. Stories of yeah. Well, then of course regular sized people ate other regular sized people too. I mean, we have all the cannibalism and stuff. But yeah, it was. Um, Weird, very weird. Yes, ma'am. Tell us really why you're here from Yukon. Talking about stories, yeah. um, you heard there was this unidentified object that was... Over. Yes, yes. And the story is that it could be Kirby's turtle. Oh, from last week, yes. It was Kirby's turtle. Because how, I mean, if it got on a fist post, it can certainly float over Canada. I mean, heavens knows. Heavens knows, if it got out there by itself, you know, it can launch itself into outer space for sure. And we need to shoot that thing because, wow, that's a dangerous turtle for sure. Something else? Thanks for your time. Thank you for indulging me. That was a, I, that story. I just, I, you know, like I said, I just enjoy it. So, okay. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, help us, God. Uh, to think correctly about ourselves, to think correctly about our world, and most importantly, to think correctly about you. Deliver us from uh, lies that we've believed, deception that we have convinced ourselves of, and uh, root these things out, God, and bring full light into our lives and into our world. Uh, for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.